Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. People ask me all the time, oh, if I can only give half his milk from breast milk, is that even beneficial? And I'm like, every drop is beneficial. Like it's, and as, and as long as it's good for you, like I'm not someone, if someone's like, I just want to stop or this is really exhausting because it is, it can be a very emotionally difficult experience, especially if you're pumping or you just feel it's just really hard. So if you want to stop, I absolutely support that. But then, you know, if a mom's like, I want to keep going, but is it even worth it? I, it, I would tell you it absolutely is. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, happy Monday. So this week on the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast, I had a chance to chat with Katie from the Breastfeeding Mama. Katie is a mom of three boys, and after the birth of her second baby, she faced a ton of challenges with breastfeeding. That's where her journey towards becoming the breastfeeding mama started, and really where her passion for helping other women succeed at breastfeeding began too. It all started with a Facebook support group back in 2015, and at the time, she had no official certifications. When she saw the success and interest in her support group, she knew she wanted to gain some accredited certification to better serve her community, and she hasn't stopped learning since. She is now a certified lactation educator and a certified breastfeeding specialist. Katie is also working towards her IBCLC, which is an amazing accomplishment. In today's episode, you'll hear us talk about the different types of breastfeeding educator certifications, the details of Katie's challenging breastfeeding journey with her second, and then we dive into the signs of low milk supply, tips to cope, oversupply, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I've been so excited to be on here. I'm so honored. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family, where you're from, what you do, all that good stuff? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Katie. I am a mom of three boys. I live in Colorado. Um, My husband and I have been professional, I guess, bloggers is the best way to put it. Since 2013, we run various websites, um, just our, we have different for different genres and whatnot. But the one that is my real passion right now is the breastfeeding mama. Um, I have such a huge passion for breastfeeding and especially helping other breastfeeding moms just find success and realizing that it can be, it's, I just feel like there's not a lot of great support out there and support out there can be difficult and kind of hard for moms to feel like they feel really accepted or like they know that people are really just like kind of out there for them, um, cheering for them. So I started the breastfeeding mama and, 
I do tons of articles and YouTube videos, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok always doing education on there because that's my real passion is not just helping moms meet their goals, but providing good research-based information um, that's also realistic because I think sometimes breastfeeding can feel really unapproachable. Like it has to be, you know, you know, only breast milk formulas bad, all this stuff. And I don't believe that at all. I believe it's so important for people to not feel that way. So I really try to have, you know, guilt-free education. And I think that I just think it's so important. And that's, I love connecting with moms one-on-one and I've gotten different various um, certifications through that. So a certified lactation educator, certified breastfeeding specialist. And now I'm a student to become an IBCLC just because I love, I love the community. So that's a little bit about what we do. Um, yeah. Very cool. No, I love it. And it's very appropriate. This episode's not coming out during World Breastfeeding Week, but it is World Breastfeeding Week. It and is. We're recording it. So it's just kind of appropriate that we schedule our time together during this week. So lots yes. of good breastfeeding education topics going on right now. Mm-hmm. Well, Katie, I do want to talk about first kind of the differences between all of the different certifications. Cause you mentioned that you were a CLC and an ed- you said, what was the second one in education? So it's certified lactation educator and certified breastfeeding specialist. And so the CBS is very similar to the certified lactation counselor, which is the CLC. CLC. Um, They're just different organizations. Okay. Um, Gotcha. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those. Cause I know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of moms go and get this sort of education after having, um, you know, personal experience with breastfeeding and, you know, they're just trying to get some sort of certification, like the quickest that they can. And then there's other people who want to go for the full IBCLC. Mm -hmm. So can you just talk about like, like what are some of the differences between some of the different certifications? Sure. No, I, I think it's super interesting because I love, I love people that want to help other breastfeeding moms. And I think just knowing the different options is super important and super valuable. Um, so I, um, I actually started a breastfeeding support group on Facebook back in 2015 after I had tons of problems with my second baby. And I was like, okay, I I was able to get good support, but I realized how much bad information was out there. And so I started this group. I had no certifications. I was just like, I'm just going to start this group. And it, it really had a lot of moms that joined it. And as I went through that, I was like, oh, I should really... I feel like I need to get more education so I can feel like I'm not just sharing my, you know, my (laughs) personal experience, which is valuable, but you know, I think it's important to, um, kind of be able to have things behind back it you up, back it up, back with it some up letters. Yeah. You got exactly. some letters behind you. Yeah, I gotcha, and that's I a gotcha. big part of why I'm going for the whole IBCLC. So I can, you know, be the, yeah, I can have all of those uh, certifications and whatnot. But, um, so I became the certified lactation educator, which I think is a great starting point. It's, um, an opportunity to allow you to learn more about breastfeeding and to allow you to support and help ed- educate other breastfeeding families. So you, it's not a clinical thing. You can't like, you know, do consults. You're not supposed to, but it's very much about education, which is really important. And I did that through Kappa and it was, I don't know how many hours it was, maybe 50 hours of education, maybe 25, something like that. Um, uh, and that was, it was pretty affordable. It was like, I don't know, it was under a thousand, um, okay. so it was around yeah. 600 or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so that was a really great starting point. And then from there, I started looking into different certifications that would allow me to um, kind of practice or 
counsel moms a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking at either the certified lactation counselor, which is really the most common, I would say, besides IBCLC. Um, And then I found uh, the certified breastfeeding specialist, which I really liked because they had 90 hour program, which you need 90 hours to become an IBCLC. Mm -hmm. So I did that program and I became that and it kind of um, widened my scope a little bit. Um, and so I think either of those are fantastic. They both, uh, I think the CLC is 50 hours and the CBS has two different options. They have the 90 hours and the 45 hours. So, um, those are great ones for, and they're, they're all very affordable too. And I think you can do both online. I've, everything I've done has been online. Um, and so I think that's another great option that doesn't require a lot of extra, um, education like college and, you know, Mm -hmm. clinical practice, which is still, I think it's valuable to get that. Um, but it's a great starting point. And especially for people that are like, I just want to help. I want to find a way to help others. I know, uh, CVSs and CLCs that have their own private practices and that, um, do online consults, which is awesome. And I could do those, um, within my scope, there's some things I can't do, um, but I can do those consults, but, um, and there's other ones there's like, um, I think there's breastfeeding USA. You can be a counselor with them. And that's just like supporting and educating as well as low to league leaders. That's a very common one. And mm-hmm. those are more peer-based. So those are generally, they have trainings, but um, I think they're generally free. And that can be a really great starting point too, for someone that just wants to support other moms and not necessarily make a career out of it or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And then the IBCLC is obviously, you know, that's the top of the line. Uh, certification. And obviously um, you have more education with that. You have to have college credits. I think it's 14 science hours um, and you have to have between, get between 300 and a thousand hours of, um, That's a of lot. clinical practice. It is. I'm doing the men, the pathway three, which is with a mentor, which mm-hmm. has been slow. I have to get 500 hours. I was going to do it at a hospital, but that fell through at the last minute. So uh, yeah. um, I've been doing it virtually. I have a great mentor that I do things with, but there's other ones. Like if you are a little HLE leader, you can do the one that's a thousand hours. Um, they've changed things a little bit, but it's kind of a slow moving process. And then the second, the pathway two, I think is for people who are doing like a, a like a degree program for IBCLC. Okay. Okay, um, gotcha. But that's obviously the most, it's the most expensive, it's the most time intensive. There are a lot of great ways to make it less expensive though. Um, there's some Facebook groups that kind of are like, these are, these classes are um, accepted. Like I've taken several classes that either for free or for like $90 to get some mm. of my college credits. Cause I have a college degree and I had some of those, but I, yeah. I was journalism. So not really science-based, not, not, yeah, <laughs> not like it, the credits probably don't transfer over. Yeah. Not, not really. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, there's some ways to make it more affordable. Um, if you're interested in that, but I would say if someone was interested in helping breastfeeding moms, don't feel like, Oh, I have to become an IBCLC. Yeah. Um, obviously if you want to work in hospitals, that's going to be, um, and that usually you have to be an RN and most, some hospitals don't allow that too. So sometimes you still, um, can be an IBCLC and not an RN, but usually it goes hand in hand to work in a hospital, but you can also work in doctor's offices, have your own private practice. Um, most of the IBCLCs I know, um, have their own practices and it's kind of hit or miss if they're a nurse or not. Um, but they're fantastic. And I don't want anyone to think like, I'm not good enough to give advice or to help others. If I don't have that top, yeah. you know, so obviously there's good things that come with that, but there's great things that come from experience and from learning and, um, and whatnot with me, I've worked with thousands of moms over the past several years and I'm not the biggest expert on everything I'm learning, constantly, yeah. but we all I feel are. like I've, 
I, I feel like I'm on a lot of things. Trust me. Yes. <laughs> but for me, I really just wanted to, you know, get that alphabet soup after my name. <laughs> um, just so, it, you know, it, it does give you a little bit more. It depends on what you want to do. So for me, I want to educate. I want to support. I want to kind of make a name for myself in the breastfeeding, especially online. And so for me, it's been worth it to go forward with that. Yeah. I love it. Well, that was, that was very interesting just to hear all of the differences between those. I did have one question before we move on to our next topic. Um, With the mentor, you say you're following a mentor. Are you like seeing moms in the hospital? You said that it's not the hospital. So like, are you going into doctor's offices and seeing moms or like, what are the clinical hours even look like? Or are you going into people's homes or like online? So it's a lot of it. Mine is virtual right now, which okay. um, the IBCO, whatever the organization's called, I always get the, the letters yeah. mixed up. They, um, they allowed virtual hours since COVID happened. So that's kind of yeah. been a blessing with that. Okay. That and I actually sense. really, I love doing the virtual hours because I think that it can actually be not a little bit less invasive for the mom and for the baby. Cause sometimes the baby's like, they, they're like, they act different when someone's in the room. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing that. And so you, there's three different steps in the mentorship process. So there's observation, which you can't count for hours. It's just watching, watching everything. And the second is where you are, um, working with the IBCLC, um, you kind of will jump in on the things you can take the notes. Um, and that's a lot of what I do right now. The third phase where you practice, they, they watch, they have to observe or be in the same, like if you're in the hospital, they have to be in the hospital somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't, you pretty much do everything. You lead the conversations, you do the, you know, the hands-on portion mm-hmm. of like the exams and whatnot. And so that is the part where, when you're transitioning into your own private practice. And so, um, if I was doing it in a hospital, it would be, you know, I'd be doing some of that observation, but eventually I get to the point where I was just doing it all myself. Um, and, um, with my virtual one, I kind of, I'll jump in and I'll, you know, give my thoughts on different things. And sometimes I've led the, we do um, little oral exams where the parents uh, do it themselves while we tell them. And so I've done, I help with that. And Mm -hmm. um, I do all the clinical notes and whatnot. So um, some people do it where they go in with an IBCLC, they go to the different sessions with them, they do support groups. So a lot of it just depends for the third stage. It does have to be an IBCLC. Um, um, And so it's just, it's just an interesting process. And it's really, I don't know, I really enjoy it. And um, it's been great to learn from my mentor and it can be hard to find mentors. There's more and more that are popping up, especially virtual, mm-hmm. um, but it can be tricky. Um, I was going to, I was going through, I got my CDS through lactation education training, something like that, or education resources, and they help to facilitate mentorships. That's where I was getting my hospital one. Um, okay. But then it felt the person that was going to do it, it fell through. It's kind of on pause. I could eventually get it again. Um, cause I would love to get that in-person um, yeah. opportunity in the hospital. Um, but they, they facilitate, they have contracts with different hospitals all across the country. So that is a great way to get a mentorship is through them. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that is super interesting. I love, I love talking about that kind of stuff because there's yeah, all this continuing education for RNs and nurses and like all of yeah. these different things. And I remember, I mean, I think one of the most striking, like like I remember when I first started breastfeeding as an RN, like as a labor and delivery nurse. And I thought, okay, I'll be fine. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I've helped moms like breastfeed, you know, I didn't have any certifications or anything. I still don't, mm-hmm. I don't I'm not a CLC or anything. Yeah. Um, but you know, you think, oh yeah, I help moms like breastfeed in the first couple hours. Like I'll be fine. 
No, there's like, it's whole, there's so you're like, oh, this is why people go to school to get, you know, for years, like, because there's so much to it. There really is. There really is. And I think that that's, that's an important point. I think is that sometimes people are like, oh, IBCLCs or lactation. That's just, it's not really necessary, but I'm like, it is such (laughs) a vital part of the of a mom's first year. Mm -hmm. And I think that that support is so valuable. Um, and having those experts that, you know, that's what we focus on. We just learn. I love, I love learning more and more. I'm just taking a course right now about tongue and lip ties because that's, you know, that's a, it's a huge topic. And Mm -hmm. so I'm taking a whole course about it because I just think it's so fascinating and so important to know. And I find so many IBCLCs tell me that they went into becoming an IBCLC because they had problems breastfeeding. And that's why I started with this because with my first, I had no problems. It was like, I remember thinking, why do people think this is hard? Like, this is Mm -hmm. so easy. And then my second, I had every problem you could possibly think of. Okay. Well, let's, before we get into like topics, I want to hear your personal story. If you are welcome to share, um, what kind of issues did you have with your second? So he was IUGR. He was very small when he was born. He was, he nursed, you know, he came out and he nursed and whatnot, but then pretty quickly, um, we took him in and it, it's, it's a complicated story because we took him in and he was almost at his birth weight, but our pediatrician was like, Oh, he needs to, she did a weighted feed for some random reason. And she's like, Oh, he should be transferring four ounces. And I was like, okay. And I didn't know at the time I was like, Oh, well, okay. And there was actually a lactation consultant in the room. And when he, when she left, she's like, I don't know that I agree with that, but I can't go against what they said. And so they got us on this crazy schedule of pumping and feeding and all this stuff. And he stopped gaining weight. And it was like, we're like, what is going on? And so they admitted him to the hospital for failure to thrive. And while we were there, finally, the doctor came in The you know, we were at a children's hospital. So there was like 10 students. And then finally a doctor, like the actual um, head of the department came in and he's like, you need to stop doing this. Just feed your baby and just nurse them. And that actually helped him. I think it was the stress of the whole situation, just pumping constantly. It was very, very difficult. But even after that, it was very painful. I was in so much pain breastfeeding mm-hmm. with him and we saw different people. And I mentioned a tongue tie and they're like, uh, someone was like, oh, and this was actually a lactation consultant that told me, oh, those are, that's just a trend. That's not something that's real. And I was like, okay. So I went on and I breastfed him for two years and it was extremely painful the whole time. Um, and so I, but we did see a, a pediatric dentist that was highly recommended to us. And he was like, he absolutely has a tongue tie. Um, and we Doesn't saw that make you mad. You're like, yeah. come on, man. Oh, absolutely. And it was just, and he had, he had reflux and he had, um, he was just very small. So he was, yeah. And that was part of the, it was just an, and I got mastitis at 10 days postpartum. Like I went in to the hospital and I'm like, I have a fever and they're like, we don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, what? And then all of a sudden the next day, I'm like, I'm sure this is mastitis. Cause you know, I had all the symptoms and I'm like, why didn't they check that? Yeah. <laughs> and so it was, it was a very frustrating. And through that all, I realized I'm like, there's so much bad information out there, even, you know, and I love medical, like I love nurses, I love doctors and everything, but, and they they can't be experts in everything. And so that's why it gets like, we even got, I started seeing IVCLC who was so helpful and she and my pediatrician kind of butted heads a lot. And so I'm sure. Yeah. And it was hard. They do. They do. Cause it's very different, you know, practice different ways of practicing. And, um, our pediatrician was very nice, but she, like when I walked in there, she said, Oh, most of most, almost all of our parents need to supplement with formula. And so, you know, right away she was telling me, you know, you, and it, it's a whole thing where I'm like, yeah. it started out with, if I had known that being half an ounce away from his birth weight at 
two weeks was fine. I would have just been like, okay, whatever, but I didn't. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do all this stuff. Um, but then with my second, you know, I breastfed him till he was two. He, he was obsessed with it and it was (laughs) weaning him was difficult. I ended up getting a demer, which is a dysphoric. It's very weird. I I have an article on my site about that. And I've talked to people about that who have had personal experience and that is, so let's book. I know we're eventually going to get, we want to talk about low supply today, guys, because low supply is like something you said, I I had it with my first one. You said you had issues well with it, you know, initially with him like being small and not getting weight. So we really do want to talk about low supply, but I I do want to touch on, is it D-M-E-R? Do you call it dimer or D? Deemer. Okay. I call it Deemer. I don't know Deemer. what. Okay. I don't know what. Name what is for. Yeah. I just know the letters, and I like I said, I have an article on my site. But yeah. for those of the for those moms who don't know, can you define it and tell us a little bit more about it? Yes, it is dysphoric milk ejection reflux, and it's basically where you have a flood of negative emotions right when you're getting your letdown. Yeah. And for some people, it's it's you know just like they get angry. Sometimes they get really sad. For me, I got it was, I didn't develop it until my son was almost weaning and I would get so mad. Like I would just like have like rage within me. And that's why I ended up weaning because it was like, I'm like, I can't handle this. This is so, and it was just for a couple of seconds, like it was probably 10 seconds, but it was so hard. And some moms have that the entire time, um, that they're breastfeeding. And sometimes it's just, they just feel really sad. Um, but it's, I think it was, they came up with an actual definition and name for it back in 2000 sometime, but it's a real thing. And I, when I talk about it, moms were like, I had no idea that that was like something that happened to other people. I feel so. And that's why it's so important to talk about things like that because it's, it is a very hard thing. It's one of those things where when it happens, I'm like, I can understand why people might want to stop breastfeeding, even if it's so short and you don't have to, there's ways to kind of there's different ways to cope with it. I was going to uh, ask there, if there's any, I, cause I don't, there's not any real treatment for it. Right. Or there's not, there? there's, there's a whole website called it's deemer.org okay. and they have some information on things that you can do, mm-hmm. but, um, it's not, there's not really a big treatment for it. And, uh, I, th- yeah. I hope that there's more research that comes out for it. The biggest thing that they found really is just support from other moms has been the biggest thing from other people going through it. So you yeah. don't feel alone. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so, that's what I've heard it, it is I'll post about it or I'll see another page, you know, post about it. And there's all these comments of like, wait, this is a thing. Wait, I, that's what was going on. Wait, wait, wait a second. You know, cause you just don't know as you did you know at that point that that was what was going on or did you no. figure it out later? I figured it out later. So yeah. I was, it was after that when I started getting, you know, all my certifications and learning more. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's what was going on. But it was like, it was so weird. Cause I mainly hear, I didn't know that it, you could just develop it, yeah. but for me, I did. And I don't know what triggered it, but it was, weird. it was horrible. And I, yeah. I have so much compassion for people that go through that because it's a very, it's a very stressful thing to have happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was the, you know, that was the end of my terrible, it was a good overall. Like I remember for the first three months of his life, just thinking, this is never going to get better. This is the most horrible experience ever. Like, I don't know. And I, people would say, well, why don't you quit? And, but for me, I was like, because I know I can breastfeed him and I know that I can get through this. And, um, 
And that's, and that's not what you that, wanted to do. Yeah. It's not you what wanted I wanted to, to do. Persevere. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. for, and you know, that's why a big part of me is like for a mom, I always say, if a mom comes to me and wants to breastfeed, I will do everything I can to help her find a way to make it work for her. Yeah. My big motto is finding a way to, or making breastfeeding work for you. Yeah. yeah. But you know, if a mom comes to me and she's like, I just need permission to stop. I will absolutely be the person to give her that because I think that you need those people. It's not helpful to tell a mom that wants to breastfeed. Well, you gave it a good try. Just you know, just here's stop. Some yeah, just stop. Yeah. Because I don't think that that's helpful either. But you have to be have a balanced approach to that. So, but for him, I I did get through, and the pain was something that was not fun. But he was gaining weight, and I was like, okay, well, you know, we got to this point, and now he's breastfeeding, and we dealt with like, you know, I gave him a bottle. I didn't know how to feed a bottle. You know, I just gave him, you know, yeah. you know how the, you see on TV. And yeah. so he got a bottle preference at one point, and so I would I remember for hours, not hours for, it felt like hours, but I would like stand there bouncing, trying to get him to latch for probably mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. And I would have to do all these weird things like bounce in the dark. And he would finally eventually latch because he, you know, and I didn't know what was going on then either. So it was just, yeah. I don't know. That brings back memories with my second yeah. one. Like I had to, I remember like bouncing in the, my first yeah. one, same with your first one, where it's like, he just loved it. Didn't have, I have issues with my supply, but he loved it. And I didn't have any issues latching and he was never like, it always calmed him down. If he, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter if he was screaming his head off, he could always, that, Mm -hmm. that thing would always calm him down. My second one, if he was screaming his head off or like something was bothering him or his sock was on too tight or something like, no, (laughs) I need to like get comfortable. And then, so it's like, yeah, you gotta come over and then slash it's like, it's that second child. Yeah, it must be. It must be a second child syndrome. I don't know. It's interesting because it's it's something that's shown me that breastfeeding can be different for every baby. And yes, with my third, totally. I started out with those same issues where it was painful and he was having trouble gaining weight. And I was like, okay, I know it's wrong though. So I went to the people I knew were going to help me. And um, he got his tongue tie revised, but just a couple of days after birth. And he is my chunkiest baby. He, my other kids were like 10th percentile. He's like 90th, whatever. Um, but, um, it was, I cried the first time I like when they did the tongue tie, they brought him out to me and I nursed him and it wasn't perfect, but I started crying. Cause I'm like, I forgot that it wasn't supposed to be painful. Like it yeah. was, and that experience, I was like, okay, if some, I, I know tongue ties, they can be overdiagnosed, underdiagnosed, whatever it's controversial. But I was yeah. like, I am a hundred percent believe that they are the issues that a lot of people have. And it's just experiencing that myself. Yeah. It was, it was just crazy. And then we didn't have any issues. Like he breastfed, he's still, he's almost two and he's loves it. And he's, that's great. Third times that you said he's your third. Yeah. Third time's a charm, I guess. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I learned more. And that's, that's the thing. The more you learn, the more you, cause I had worked yeah. with so many moms that are like, Oh, I just, you know, my first one, I wish I would have known what I know now. Yeah. And that's another thing, which I'm like, don't feel guilty. Don't feel like you did anything wrong because you just do the best you can with the information and resources you have. And so my goal is providing that information. And I give a lot of like people like don't give away stuff for free so much. And I'm like, well, you know what? I, my biggest goal is to help moms. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. The sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of birth it up babies. So this week is a birth it up baby that just happened literally a week ago, a week and a day ago. 
This mama says, yesterday my son decided to break my water at 4.30 a.m. and enter the world on his own time at 34 weeks. I've been watching the videos and was halfway through the course, but didn't get to complete it. After I was admitted into my room, I took my phone out and watched some more. I was on the birthing ball practicing breathing with my phone propped up. This class helped me change positions throughout labor to optimize my contractions and feel confident bringing my little man in. Thank you so much. I love this one. And the reason I chose this one is because I love how she talked about how she was watching, you know, my classes while she was in labor. I think that's such a great um, thing about online education is you can just pull it up wherever. And if you need to access it really quick, there it is. This mama took Birth It Up, the natural series, so if you want to check out the course that she took, you can head over to mommylabornurse.com and click on the natural series. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. All right, well, speaking of helping moms, this issue of low supply is an issue that I think a lot of people deal with and have feelings about. I know I dealt with it with my first, um, so I really want to touch on this because I feel like you know, any post I post about breastfeeding or like any of the forums that I'm in or the Facebook groups, people are always asking about how do I up my milk supply or like, Mm -hmm. you know, my milk supply is low, or I feel like my baby's, you know, still hungry. So let's first talk about that and maybe some myths that go along with low supply. Cause I think, Mm -hmm. I think there's an issue there of like, you think you might have low supply, but you really don't. And you're, and it's perfectly like, it's okay if your baby's cluster feeding and all of that good stuff. So let's talk about that. And then let's talk about some of the common causes and like, cause there, there are genuine reasons why someone might have like a legitimate low supply. Absolutely. For me, the biggest thing it comes back to is to education because there's just not a lot of good information about their Uh, just readily available about what is normal supply. So moms, they get on Instagram and Facebook. I like to say, sometimes I'm glad that I had my first baby before those were really, I had a baby center forum that I would get on and, you know, I would go check all those things out, but I didn't see pictures of these freezers filled or like milk bottles, big bottles with like all the fat at the top. I know. Yeah. Because I, with my second, I was like, I only have like this much fat at the top and it's easy to obsess over it. And, you know, moms that, you know, oversupply is another thing, which I actually, I really like to help moms with oversupplies because they feel yeah. like super alone too. Yes. Yes. But I think that uh, for me, when it comes down to when a mom comes to me, do I have low milk supply? I'm like, well, let's talk about what normal supply is because pe- normal supply is not having tons and tons of milk. It's really making enough for your baby's needs. Yeah. And so, you know, someone would be like, well, I pumped and I only got like two ounces. And I'm like, well, did you pump in addition to nursing? Because if you're pumping in addition to nursing, it's really normal to just get a quarter ounce to two ounces total. And that's not like it's total. And, you know, you can have different amounts from different sides. We always say that, you know, your breasts are uh, sisters, not twins because they produce different amounts. (laughs) Like your eyebrows, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, But then we also say, you know, if you're exclusively pumping, you know, it's normal about 24 to 30 ounces in a 24 hour period is normal. And so I just posted about this. Someone was like, well, I only got four ounces when I was pumping. I was like, well, that's actually really good. And I had, I had probably 10 moms message me and they're like, she's like, I feel, I had no idea. I felt like I had low milk supply and I feel so much better now that I know that I have normal, normal, you know, milk supply or enough. And so I always say, is your baby growing well? Like, especially when it comes to cluster feeding, because that can be a tricky topic because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's people that are like cluster feeding, you know, it's, they scare parents about it. And, but cluster feeding is a normal thing to have happen, but I know it's scary with my third 
I knew I have a scale. And so I was doing weighted feeds during these cluster feeds and I knew he was getting milk, but I was still like, Oh my gosh, is he not getting it? I'm like, I know he's getting milk, but he, yeah. it just felt like they're not. So it's real. Yeah. So when you're going through those cluster feeding periods, the number, the couple of things to look for, are they gaining weight, which obviously you can't always check that right away, but are they having enough um, poopy and wet diapers, especially mm-hmm. in that first six weeks or so. And are they having any signs of dehydration? So, you know, the sunken and fontanelle, or they're just not crying tears, or I think educating on dehydration is really important too. Yeah. Yeah. Because Let's like, talk about that. Cause I yeah. think that's one, um, you know, you think it's just, they're not peeing, but there's, a, there's other like clinical signs of dehydration too, like you said. Yeah, for sure. And I think that just knowing those, so like, you know, not peeing, not pooping. Like, yeah, that's a controversial topic too. I just posted, reposted something about that. And I got so much hate mail about <laughs> babies and pooping. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's tricky. Cause a lot of times with breastfed babies, they say up until six weeks, um, they should be pooping regularly, but then you'll still have the people that come in. Oh, my doctor said that breastfed babies just can go like forever without it. And I'm like, well, that's not until six weeks, but there's still, yeah. there's more people saying, well, that's if a baby's going two weeks without pooping, then that's at any point, that's really not an ideal situation. Like yeah. there's probably like, there's, it's, it's an interesting topic and I hope that they do more research on it because I think that it's, it's valuable. I do too. And I know what you're talking about because I've seen the differing opinions of like yeah. pediatricians saying, no, like this is completely normal. And even IBCLC is saying that's completely mm-hmm. normal. And then there's IBCLCs that are saying, no, you should be pooping every single day. And then it's like, the moms are saying, wait, my baby's not pooping every day. Like, is there something yeah. wrong? So it's like, it's a, it's a, tricky it's so hard because, yeah. cause, and I'm like, I don't really have a solid opinion on it. Yeah. I do think that it's something to look into because my son yeah. before six weeks, I absolutely say that if they're not pooping, there's sometimes a rare baby that, that that's okay. Yeah. But if they're not pooping before six weeks, you really need to look into it because my yeah. son wasn't when he wasn't gaining weight and when he wasn't getting enough. And I actually had an IBCLC was like, well, pee is key. Um, that's all we care about is enough urinating. I'm like, he's not gaining weight and he's starting to show these signs of dehydration. And I'm like, this doesn't feel right to me. That's a big thing to listen to your gut. Cause that rarely, yes, that is a good straight. tip. That is a very good tip. Um, but yeah, so the pooping thing, I don't know. so you should be looking for, you know, before six weeks for sure that I think that's the accepted normal is, you know, two to three times a day, at least a quarter sized, um, uh, what the poop should look like. It's usually a lot more than that. <laughs> it, is, it is. I know they say a quarter size and I'm like, I don't know yeah, what they right. those are, but, yeah. <laughs> um, right. but that, so that's important too, um, is making sure they're pooping enough and weight gain. Weight gain is another tricky topic too, because yeah. there's just, there's so many different factors involved with that. And I would definitely say if you're a parent, that's like, Oh, my baby's not in the hundred percentile. Remember, it's not a test. It's a curve. Like you, it's not better to be a a baby can be in the first percentile and be just as healthy. It's important just for them to be growing on their curve and to look at the whole picture. So when a parent's talking to me about the pooping thing, I'm like, well, let's look at the whole picture. Like is everything else looking good? Are they happy? Are they meeting milestones? Are and then like with weight gain, it's like, are you a small person? You can't expect two tiny parents to have a giant baby, you know? Yeah. Um, so just those are good to look for those signs of wellness. I think it's more important to look at wellness rather than just like one tiny thing. But with cluster feeding, they should be having enough poop or poop in wet diapers. They should be 
satisfied for at least for a small amount of time. They may want to nurse again pretty quickly, but if they're just fussing at the breast the entire time, and then right after they're just crying, 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 then that's something I would get evaluated because your baby shouldn't be crying constantly, Yeah, especially when it comes to feeding. Like there's some, there's sometimes other issues going on, but I think you just, you can't just say, oh, well, babies just cry because babies do cry, but usually there's a reason for it. And so it, 24 seven crying is not normal. No, not at all. That there's a lot of, di- well, I did a post not too long ago where it was like, there's a lot of, di- it's not just, you know, I'm hungry, I'm wet or dirty. I'm tired. There's like a whole a lot of other <laughs> reasons that babies can cry, but there usually is a reason. And once you figure out that reason, they usually do stop. Yep. And sometimes the reason is I just want to cry and I'm a baby. Yep. yep. Exactly. My second one was like that. <laughs> like sometimes I just want to flail my head off, but yeah. you know, um, but yeah. So I want to talk about um, some of the reasons why, if you find that you do have that low supply, like maybe you are a mom that you say, yeah, my baby is crying all the time. Or like, yeah, my baby is not gaining weight or not pooping enough. Um, what are some of the common reasons why someone would have low supply like clinically? Yeah. So I, there's, I will tell you my very favorite resource is an Instagram account. She's the low low supply mom. And she is amazing. I follow her. Yeah. She has so many great resources. And so yeah. I would tell people to go follow her if they're having low milk supply issues, because she has a great booklet that's free that has all of the reasons, but cool. there's generally a couple, there's uh, reasons that are, you know, physically related. So like, um, IGT, um, insufficient mm-hmm. glandular tissue is a very, is probably the most common one. I don't know how common it is among women, but it's com- the most common reason I see for someone not being able to breastfeed mm-hmm. um, in the way that they might have imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you just haven't developed enough glandular tissue. So usually this is people that don't have, that haven't developed d- during puberty or during pregnancy. Um, they usually have widely spaced apart breasts. Um, they look tubular in shape. It's not really the size necessarily. It's more the mm-hmm. shape. Um, and so in those situations, sometimes you won't produce enough milk for your baby's needs. And that can be super, super hard. So that um, breast surgery, if you've had previous breast surgery, sometimes that can cause issues. It depends on how the surgery was done. So if you've had surgery, I definitely recommend working with an IBCLC before you give birth. I'm a huge advocate for prenatal consults Mm. because we can talk about different issues. You know, um, if you have preexisting conditions like PCOS, that's another one, like it's a medical condition that they found that, you know, about a third of moms with it have low milk supply. And then a third of them actually have an oversupply and then a third produce normal, but they, there is a link between that and lower milk supply and, um, figuring that out. And then even with, you know, uh, you know, glandular tissue, there's a potential, if you didn't, weren't able to uh, produce enough milk with your baby, your first one, you could produce more with the second, cause you do produce more glandular tissue. Um, but just, so those are some of the biggest common ones I see. And then there's ones that are not necessarily ones that are physically related, but things like, you know, hemorrhaging after birth, that's very common to have low milk supply after that. Um, retain placenta. That's a huge one where a mom should like, especially if your milk has not come in Mm -hmm. after, you know, a week or so it's like, sometimes that can be a really big indicator of it because you have a little bit that because the placenta wasn't totally expelled. um, Your body's not producing the hormones that it needs to. Yeah. So that one's really common. Um, I, I would say that those are all the most common ones. And then sometimes it's just, um, I would say there's ones that are, I'm not going to say the mom's fault. That's what it 
it sounds like, but it's things like not nursing on demand, not, yeah. And that's a tricky, that's like a tricky going one. on a clock. Yeah. Yeah. Going yeah. on a clock. And that's, that's a hard one too. Cause I'm like, I'm all about you doing what's best for you, but I do recommend in the beginning, just feeding on demand because right. that is how your but those first few weeks are really critical in bringing in your milk, your milk supply. Um, and you, that doesn't say like you can't increase your supply later on because you definitely can, but though it's really those first, um, they've actually found like in the first hour after you give birth, if you, um, you know, breastfeed your baby and then hand express, they've actually seen a greater volume in milk at six weeks, which I think is amazing. I'm a huge, I love hand expression. I think it's one of the greatest Me too, girl. Me too. It's, I'm all I, about it. <laughs> it's a, it's amazing. Like I get super excited about it, especially because I had gestational diabetes with my third and I started to learn a lot about hand expression then because, oh. um, just because that was easier. Sometimes they, sometimes with gestational diabetes, moms can co- harvest colostrum before yeah. and give that to their babies. And it's, I think it's just a really valuable skill. Cause I didn't with my first two, I was like, this is so weird. I don't even know what that is. Like, yeah. so, but then I was like, okay, this is a really valuable skill. Yeah. So those first few weeks are really valuable in establishing your milk supply. So I just say, you know, when in doubt, whip it out. That's one of my favorite things to say, because that can really establish your supply. So if you do have some of these issues, um, it's just important to come up with a plan and to have realistic expectations and to tell yourself, I may not be making all the milk for my baby, but I'm making enough milk. Like, you know, I'm making the milk he needs. And that doesn't mean like, oh, if you can only give people ask me all the time, oh, if I can only give half his milk from breast milk, is that even beneficial? And I'm like, every drop is beneficial. Like it's, And as long as it's good for you, like I'm not someone, if someone's like, I just want to stop or this is really exhausting because it is, it can be a very emotionally difficult experience, especially if you're pumping or you just feel it's just really hard. So if you want to stop, I absolutely support that. But then, you know, if a mom's like, I want to keep going, but is it even worth it? I, it, I would tell you it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we still have a little time. So I would love to talk about, you mentioned oversupply before and support for those moms. So since we just talked a little bit about low supply, can we touch on moms who have oversupply? Because I Mm -hmm. feel like you're right that that sometimes we focus on like low supply is so bad. And you know, you have comes with so many feelings, but like there's this whole other subset of women who have a lot of issues with oversupply Mm -hmm. and, Personally, I like with my first one, I did have issues with low supply. And then my second one, I had perfect, like perfect supply. So I haven't had any personal issues, Mm -hmm. but one of my friends does, and she, she was an exclusive pumper with both of hers. And like one of those that would make like a hundred ounces a day. And I'm like, that seems crazy to me. Um, but there are plenty of women out there who have oversupplies. So can we talk about that? I guess maybe like what exactly is an oversupply and like some of the common issues that moms face and like how to deal with it. Yeah, no. And I, I love this topic too, because I I was posting a lot about low milk supply and I started getting an influx of moms. Like we can please talk about oversupply because I feel they feel guilty for one that they have so much milk and they feel like they don't want all that milk. Um, and it can be hard for both of those communities to kind of combine, which is understandable. It's difficult to see somebody having so much milk when you can't produce enough. So I, in that situation, I'm like, you know, protect yourself. If you feel, you know, upset or that's hard for you, it's okay. But for these other moms, they need support too, because having an oversupply can be extremely difficult. Um, So an oversupply is technically anything, you know, above making a lot of 
making milk above and beyond what your baby's actually nursing or yeah. eating about above that, you know, a quarter to two ounces if you're nursing in addition to, or yeah. and whatnot, but not every oversupply you have to worry about. So some moms, they, I have a friend that would produce eight ounces on each side, but she was never engorged. She never had mastitis. And that's because of her breast storage capacity was just higher. So if you have, some moms can produce a lot of milk, and it's technically an oversupply, but if it's not causing issues with you or your baby, then I'm like, you know, if you're fine with it, then go for it. But for yeah. some moms, they get recurrent clogged ducts, which are really difficult or recurrent mastitis because their milk, they're just not able to empty their breasts as much. Yeah. Um, there's some people that their baby, they have a really fast letdown. So their baby's coughing and sputtering and has reflux and they just can't even get their baby to latch, which is really hard. Yeah. Um, or there's one they, they constantly feel like they have to pump because otherwise they're just so engorged. And so it's constantly having to empty their breasts. And then it's and- like, if the more you pump, the more you're going to make. And it's like, yeah, yep. that is yep, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it, that can be really hard. And some people induce you know, oversupply. Some do it on purpose. Some not so much. They're like, Oh, well, I just thought I was supposed to pump. Like I had someone I was just talking to and she's like, Oh, should I bring my pump to the hospital to bring my milk supply? I'm like, well, unless your baby's not latching, you don't need that. Like pumping. Like I always say, unless you're going back to work at six weeks, I would wait four to six weeks to start pumping until your supply is regulated. And even things like the Haka, which is super popular, like you know, that's a viral product. Everyone loves it. Yeah. But those I've worked with moms who have gotten oversupply from the Haka. Yeah, um, totally. It helped me because yeah. I feel like it, it helped me get like a perfect supply, but I've heard the same yep. thing that like yep. the Haka is great, but it can accidentally give you an oversupply. Yeah, no, I yeah. love, I love the Haka, but it's one of those things where I'm like, if you think you might have an oversupply, yeah. And probably don't use the haka. Don't haka out. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I actually think it's kind of interesting. One of the things that not for, for massive oversupplies, this doesn't work as well, but I find that one of the best things you can do is just to keep feeding your baby on demand. Yeah. With my last mm-hmm. son, I had my best milk supply ever, but I never had once had clogged ducts, never had engorgement ever. And that's because I was just nursing him all the time. Mm-hmm. And so he was emptying me and he was, you know, not emptying your breasts are never truly empty, which is another thing people right. like, Oh, do I need to wait to fill up or whatever? But you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that that is one of the best things you can do. Um, but these, if you're struggling with a, an oversupply where you are just, you know, you're like, this is so much milk. Like I've worked with moms who are like, I get like 15 ounces a side. And I'm like, I can't imagine because I would get like two yeah. total yeah. and that was normal. Um, but I'm like, I can't even imagine getting that much milk. So if you're in that situation and it's a problem for you, then I definitely recommend working with an IBCLC to come up with a plan. Because one of the interesting things I found is a lot of moms with oversupplies end up with low milk supply later because they're used to having so much milk. Mm. And so they're like, Oh, I, maybe I don't need to, you know, I don't have mm-hmm. to pump as much. I don't have to nurse as much. And then they realize once their supply, cause a lot of time your supply will regulate, um, not always, but sometimes it does. And they end up are like, I actually lost my milk supply because I didn't, I wasn't doing what I was supposed to, to, um, or not supposed, I hate to say supposed to, because I know, you know yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, they weren't emptying the breast in the way that they should be, um, to maintain that supply. So, or, or they've done things so drastic that they lost their milk, you know, this, so they got, you know, a decongestant and they used like all of this different stuff, which, you know, sometimes, you know, cabbage leaves can be helpful if you have an oversupply, but you can't use them too much or you can't, you know, you shouldn't block feed so much or, cause sometimes people are like, oh, I can breastfeed for just one side and mm-hmm. then their supply regulates. And then their baby should really be nursing from both sides. Both. Right. 
Yep. Okay. And so they find, you know, the baby all of a sudden stops gaining weight and it's like, oh, it's because they can't just survive off of one side anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a hard topic. Again, one, you should definitely work with a lactation consultant on just to make sure that you regulate your supply and, um, without hurting it. And I think if you are having an oversupply, don't feel guilty. It's not, it's, I mean, it's hard. You, if you have extra milk that you can donate, that can be a huge blessing to other moms. If you are like, I have so much milk, that's something you could do to help that and, um, find people that are in the same situation. I'm sure there's oversupply groups on Facebook. There's, there's a lot. Everything. Yeah. There's a lot on Facebook and there's pages. Um, I follow a couple couple other pages. Um, Mm -hmm. um, and there, I mean, there's all, there's a lot of moms. I mean, you even said it in the beginning, like I wish I, or I'm glad I wasn't on Instagram, like with my first, because yeah, like there's these oversupply accounts where it's like, you make like all this milk and it's crazy. I know. And it's, 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 the unrealistic because most people yeah. they just need to make enough. Like I think some people think, Oh, an over, like I have people tell me, I, I would love an oversupply. It sounds amazing. And then I always have people comment back and like, no, it's yeah. not as lovely yeah. as you it's think. Not glamorous. Yeah. No, it is. And it can be very difficult, especially when it affects your baby. Like if they yeah. are yes. you know, having reflux or they're having rapid, like I'm not super concerned about babies gaining a lot of weight from breastfeeding. A lot of times it evens out, but if your baby is gaining massive amounts of weights from breastfeeding and you have an oversupply, sometimes that can cause issues for them and for you. Um, so I just, it's so hard. It's just, you know, just find people that you can connect with and, um, kind of learn from them and find that support because every mom deserves to be supported in her own situation because no one's is the same. It's never the same. And it's different from baby to baby. And that's just a huge part of my mission is just helping moms to, to meet them where they're at and to know what their goals are and help them to meet those. Yeah. Love it. Well, that is a great piece of advice to kind of wrap things up. Do you have any last words of advice for moms who are maybe, I have a lot of moms who aren't, you know, haven't given birth yet and they're still pregnant and they're planning on breastfeeding. Um, and maybe have some questions. And then I have a lot of moms who just gave birth, they're postpartum, they have lots of questions and lots of issues and, and, you know, feeling all the feelings. Um, so do you have any, any last words of advice for these moms? Yeah, just seek out support, which I know that that's not always easy, but there are so many amazing resources out there. If you haven't given birth, learn all you can. Learning all you can doesn't mean you're not going to have problems, but it can help you better prepare to navigate them and to know when you're getting bad advice, because there is a lot of bad advice out there. I get on TikTok and I'm like, oh my gosh, why are people telling people this like type of thing? It's yeah. yeah, It's, and I'm just like, stop it. Or like, and you can get that even from, you know, medical providers that, you know, a lot of times they're just trying to do what they can. You know, a lot of them want, you know, have their you know, they like the data and stuff, but sometimes like with me, I wish I had had different, I had done something different with my second and had that education and that support. So I would say, educate yourself all you can get a lactation consult. And even if you're not sure you want to breastfeed, still learning is really important. Cause I know a lot of people that they're like, I didn't want to until my baby was here. And then I wanted to, and then I just had all these problems. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. So, but then if, so there's so many great, there's virtual lactation support. There's classes. I do classes. There's uh, consults, there's groups, in-person groups that you can go to. I think more of those are opening up again. So I would say just find support 
as wherever you can, because it exists. And there are so many people that want to help you. I am one of them. I love, that's one of my greatest passions is helping moms. So just find people that want that, you know, you connect with and that have this, because there's different lactation consultants with different philosophies, which Mm -hmm. I think is great. Like there's ones that are super, super natural and super Mm -hmm. other ones that are more like, let's, let's just make this work. Let's Mm -hmm. do whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just have to find the ones that work for you and the support and the people. Cause a lot of times, sometimes it's friend groups in your family that can be the most supportive and the least supportive. So if you're yes, finding yeah. people are like, Oh, you just should stop breastfeeding or this is just too hard for you. Like you can block that out. Like you can find a way to get past that and, you know, just, I don't know, just find support wherever you I can. love it. No, that's perfect. I know one, I'm glad that the groups are starting to open up too, because that's definitely something that I tell moms because with my first one, um, my second one, he was a COVID baby. So like he, I, they didn't have the group that I went with, with my first one, but with my first one, that was, it was like once a week on Mondays, Monday mornings, and you know, you're on maternity leave. So you're like looking for stuff to do. And it's like, that was my thing that we did every week. It would get out, get Mm -hmm. me out of the house. And I get to, you know, sit in a room with other breastfeeding moms. And we all, you know, it's led by a lactation consultant. And we would all talk about, you know, issues that we were having. And sometimes people would cry. Sometimes, you know, babies would poop on themselves and like, we would and I mean, it was just like so much fun. Yep. Um, so I love to tell people about support groups. If you have support groups like those in your area, I think mm-hmm. a lot of them, um, translated to like zoom kind of groups, um, you know, during COVID. Yep. So there are definitely still some of those that are, that are out there, but I'm, I'm glad that they're starting to open up Me now. Cause I, I think, think like, valuable. yeah, like the in-person is just, just so, so great. So it's, it's just, there's something that you just can't replace it, especially yes. with a group setting like that. And yeah, it just, I don't know. I, I love them and I hope that they more, because I think having a baby during COVID must've been so difficult for so many, cause they just so didn't many. know where to turn. And yeah. there's virtual things, you know, that you can do, but yeah. being able to find a, you know, myriad of support options is really valuable. Yeah. Love it. Well, Katie, can you remind our listeners where they can find you on social media and your website and all the things that you can offer? Yeah, of course. So my main website is um, for breastfeeding is the breastfeedingmama.com. I do have another website, Clark's Condensed, which has a lot of breastfeeding content as well. But if you want to find most of it, go to the breastfeedingmama.com. We are constantly putting up new articles. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram. Uh, it's the, just the dot breastfeedingmama. And I am always on there. And TikTok is the BF Mama. So I do a lot on there. And then I have cool. my classes. I'm revamping them right now, but I have a couple online ones. Um, And pretty soon we're going to be launching the Breastfeeding a Mama Academy, which will have everything from, you know, pregnancy prep to weaning, because I think there's a lot, the longer you breastfeed, the less support you get. So I'm going to be offering, you know, new eBooks and courses and everything. So I'm super excited about that. And so if you follow along, you'll get all that information um, as it comes out, but I would love to connect with anyone. I do consults with my, uh, with my, uh, my mentor, she is, she, there's a lot of insurances that she accepts so we can, and then self-pay as well. So if that's cool. something you're interested in, we do all sorts of consults. So I'm, Very I'm cool. here for everything. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think this was a great, great episode for, for, you know, pregnant moms who are planning on breastfeeding or new moms who are breastfeeding. Um, we talked, touched on a lot of subjects. So thank you for yeah. joining me today. Yes, Thank you so much. I it was wonderful to be here. 
All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.